Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. And welcome to episode 280 of the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Paul, it's been a hot minute since we last had a show. Yeah. But on a good note, I hit the button today and we published new code. So I've got like, you know, 10 or 20 minutes to relax. <laughs> you, you get paid. I mean, in Venice, I had two weeks off. My folks were in town for seven weeks and we went to Disneyland in California um, in the last week of their stay. And so it was really good fun. I queued up for 90 minutes to meet three princesses that talked to my daughter for, I guess, three minutes each. But she loved it. It was a highlight of her whole vacation. My daughter collected all the signatures of princesses on one of our first trips there. She still talks about it. So, yeah, well, well done you getting that done. Awesome. Me- memories to be had for sure. And I scared the crap out of myself on the roller coaster in uh, California Adventures, if anyone's been on been one of those. So I'm going to the Florida one in uh, October. So we'll see. How there's a couple of new things. But it's Food and Wine Festival too. So sit at the pool, drink margaritas, have some food. <laughs> Off we go. <laughs> As I say, the 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 wine part of the food and wine no. doesn't really equate for you because it basically means margaritas. I don't know what you mean. I, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so in the in the three weeks we've been off, what have you found? What news have you found for us? I well, I want to extend my sympathies to Mark Rackley because he planned months and months and months ago. He planned a conference, and now you know, Microsoft just announced Microsoft Ignite is happening the same week. So, sorry, Mark, but big news: Microsoft Ignite is a uh, in-person and digital, and happening in October, uh, the 12th through the 14th. So, uh, you can go to ignite.microsoft.com and click on the button to say "Get notified when they open up registration." So. Yeah, take a pick. I almost thought that Mark had done that on purpose and he had some inside track, but I guess it makes more sense that, you know, these big, I mean, we only do a certain amount of big, big events a year. And I think wherever we pick, it's going to pave over something. But um, yeah, yeah, it, I guess October, that's not far away. We, we already had emails that they wanted to lock in content and they gave us eight working days to pick sessions. <laughs> like, it's October. What are we wow. doing? So. Yeah. The usual craziness. Yeah. Well, but I, it, it makes sense, right? The the scuttlebutt was, will there be in in person events for Microsoft again, right? Because because of the pandemic, there was a no in person anything for a few years. So it's kind of I can understand people are the decision was made. Now it's kind of scrambled to get it ready. So I can certainly sympathize with that. But so it won't be the ignites that we remember from you know other places, but. TBD, maybe they do something crazy, put some of that on campus or something like they did that one year. Yep. So they're saying details will come when registration opens in late August. So watch that space for more. Hold for more. Somewhat related, the Power Platform Group is having the first ever Microsoft Power Platform Conference. And this will be held in what is it not so orlando <laughs> no oh, heat <laughs> um this will happen september 18 and 19 kickoff uh, uh pre-conference i'm sorry and then 20 to 22 is the actual conference so um i'm normally in orlando in late september but this year i've scheduled it differently but uh, so if you are doing power platform stuff uh power automate this is what they're highlighting in this blog post but i'm sure they'll have other stuff in there as well so 
here we go. In-person conferences back with a flat in a flurry. So off we go. Right. The airlines will be happy. Well, as long as the airports can get them through, right? <laughs> I have a flight booked for Heathrow, so I hope they let me in with the, with the baggage. This should be fun. Anyways, the next um, article I found is uh, introducing the Azure Developer CLI. And this is a tool to help developers write code for the cloud. And you're saying, what is that? Well, I have news for you. This is a blog post by Savannah Ostrowski. And Savannah's coming on the show. I'm talking to her. Uh, we are talking to her in about another month or so. She's got a holiday, and I've got a holiday or a trip to the UK to get through. But then we'll talk about the CLI that they have, which will actually connect up and get you connected and building stuff in the cloud. So provision provision things, right? So the idea is, of course, you initialize a template and then a command to provision the resources in the cloud and deploy. And so um, kind of taking the, net, the the CLI provisioning things that you do and in, in simplifying it and focusing, I should say, on things that we need for developers. So I look forward to kicking the tires on that one. And then I saw that Andrew Connell, or actually, no, one from us still as well. We uh, found a a pattern that we were seeing that ISVs and customers actually were using EWS to access uh, Teams data. And we had put a notice out there that this was unsupported because what it was doing was it was accessing the data store in exchange where Teams stores copies of everything for search, for uh, office.com stuff and uh, other kind of recommendation stuff. And um, EW, somehow someone creatively had worked out how to query EWS to get at those particular data objects. About 18 months ago, we changed the data store and it broke, made a breaking change to said unsupported way. And most customers got off it then and moved to the graph to access that data, but there were still a few holdouts. And we obviously now have much better efficient ways of pulling data out at scale for Teams data on the export Teams export APIs on Microsoft Graph. And so we have actually, for that reason and for the reason we kind of, you know, we design APIs, we want to be able to change the data store for various different reasons without breaking anyone. And so we've actually put a date of September 30th, 2022, that we're going to stop those APIs from working on AWS, we're going to block that that data being returned. And so, um, you know, this has been something that's been available for, you know, since Teams basically started putting stuff in that data store. And we've warned a lot of people and we figured the way we would like make this happen other than warning them is to put a data around it. And so if you are accessing Teams data and you're not using the graph, um, please uh, make sure you're switching over um, and feel free to reach out to me if you have any issues with that. Um, time frame wise and so forth but it was just a matter of putting a date on this thing and while I was away that blog post went out to state the September 30th is the date that that will stop working with AWS. Yeah I remember when Teams first launched there was some concern about how do you get the compliance and the discovery and stuff and it was yeah. like oh yeah it's stored in you know we're sharing databases with uh, Exchange or whatever it was. I do remember that conversation I think oh that was pretty clever to get to market fast but yeah for those who aren't as fast <laughs> get moving. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, just a warning on there, and we're gonna do. We have been doing some customer outreach for the. We, it's interesting because they're not Azure AD apps. All we have is a username, and password, and the tenant. So we can't identify if there is there a particular ISV accessing. Wow. You know, five thousand tenants, and so we have to reach out to the customers directly. And so, yet another advantage of Azure AD and app registrations and not using username and passwords of things. Yep. Yep. 
And you mentioned AC. He uh, he has an unboxing. Do people still do unboxing videos? You know, I'm not really fond of tickers, but uh, yeah. So back in the day, people used to get new gadgets and unbox them. So he started unboxing the SPFX 1.15 release, which you know, in our last talk, we we, we talked about the announcement. But the, again, this I just we don't have to go into detail. But this is someone who doesn't work in the SPFX team talking about what's new and improved. So uh, it's nice to get that external voice, in my opinion. So thanks. AC for putting this comprehensive list together of stuff and uh, it's even got code samples in there that I, I can zoom in on. So great to see. And then you found one by Simon Doy as well. So I don't know Simon, but I did come across this blog, uh, my experiences and an approach to implementing Power Platform DevOps with the Power Platform tool chain. And this is actually a series of posts that he has. I don't know if he's completed all of them yet or some in progress, but this reminds me of the day when Todd Bleeker and I tried to reverse engineer SharePoint workflows so that we could put it in VS Code and stick them into, or I'm sorry, Visual Studio so we could put them in source code control. But this is a great series that Simon is talking about to get your handle on, on Power Platform stuff, right? You, you, you create the stuff in the browser and it's stored in an environment in the Power Platform and now what, right? right? How do I get that to a customer tenant or how do I get it to dev test production? Yeah, the info path days was the same thing, right? Like you could do some really kooky yeah. things to export an info path as a, oh, I forget the extension file name, but <laughs> yeah. And then you could explode that thing because it was a cab file and then you could source control the exploded files, but yeah, so I'm hoping that Power Platform has a better story and that they've learned from InfoPath's demise, I guess, as they go forward with this this difference. Yeah. Well, last time I logged on there, it was import-export was your friend. But I, 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 to be honest, I haven't been in there quite a while. So for those of you in that space, um, and if this is something you want to know more about, reach out to us on Twitter and yeah, we'll happy totally. to get uh, Simon and or product team members on board to, to do it because I love the fact that a power user can use the power platform to get most of their work done and that and I don't need to get involved until it's time to tidy it up or integrate it with it. That's great because then, you know, win-win, they get there what they want and and I don't have to spend time doing things wrong and then fixing it. So <laughs> perfect stuff. Yep. Citizen data development is still development. So I guess it's still within our scope of our show if we uh, want to go down that path with the stuff. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Although I wouldn't say citizens are doing power or power apps. Those seem kind of complicated to me, but that's just... Anyways, uh, this week you found someone to talk to about Teams.js. What's going on here? Yeah, so Alicia Liu is within uh, the internal Taos team, and um, which is under Rob Howard, who people will be familiar with and we've had on the show way back when, I guess. And so this is all about the journey of kind of extending Microsoft 365 developer platform outside of just Teams.js and looking at Outlook and Office.com and some little hints to the future of the direction of this stuff. But um, obviously, we're keeping a lot under our hat for October and Ignite where we're going to do another wave of announcements that will spell this out. So, you know, it's great to have Alicia on. And um, yeah, if you've got any feedback on the show or you want to hear more about a particular area of this new Teams.js SDK v2, um, definitely let us know. Yep. Look forward to listening to this. Thanks, buddy, and have a good week. Cheers, mate. Okay, so I'm here with Alicia Liu uh, today. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Alicia. Thanks for having me. So um, how long have you been at Microsoft for? It's always the first question I always ask people when we're interviewing PMs internally. So I'm actually about to hit my one-year anniversary at Microsoft in August. Oh, congratulations. Thank you That's so really much. That's exciting. 
I am excited about it. Did um, I, I bet that's gone real quick as a whirlwind, starting that during kind of the pandemic, well, the tail end of the pandemic, hopefully it's the yep. end of the pandemic. Yeah, it really was. And I'm actually in the office right now. So it's been a really interesting transition going from remote to like working in office half the time. And it's been great to be in Seattle in general. This is my first job out of college. So it's been a, a whirlwind, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't envy your time in joining the workforce during this period, but I'm <laughs> glad you're making the most of it. And you're also in building 32 too, right? Because you're all under Grovzorg. Yes. Yeah, I'm in 32 right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm in 1W. So just around the corner from y'all. I actually bumped into Divyanka the other day. So um, yeah, it would be nice to catch up when we're all in there in person. Yeah, for sure. I only just went to the treehouse, like the Microsoft treehouse last week. So I've been very late <laughs> on going around campus. Yeah. On checking these things out. I am assuming as it's 90 degrees outside today that that treehouse will be a sweat box today if someone had a meeting in there. So. Oh yeah. I am inside and taking advantage of the AC. So um, you're in the team that's working on all the stuff we announced at Build. Can you tell me a little bit about the team you're in and, uh, and what you've been focused on? Sure. So I'm a product manager on the M365 platform team. And specifically, we work on the team's JS SDK. Um, and really what we're trying to enable here is doing work in the team's JS SDK to make M365, a really like valuable developer platform for integrated productivity experiences. And then from a user standpoint, allowing users to really take advantage of all of the M365 services and apps they can use to have as integrated of an experience as possible and really just not have to just keep switching windows every time they want to do something new during their workday and in their life. Yeah, I think even the name of your team being the M365 development team is interesting because, you know, on the show in the past, we've had people from the SharePoint team or the Teams team or the Outlook team talking about development. And, and all of the work that your particular team are doing is thinking about it more holistically as one developer platform as opposed to you know each individual team shipping different ways of how they extend that particular surface area of you know, Microsoft 365 itself, right? Exactly. Um, and although I don't write code now, I used to study computer science. And just thinking about like right, having to write the same app multiple times is just an absolute, I can't even imagine it. So I definitely really believe in sort of the mission of what our team is trying to accomplish from a developer perspective as well. Yeah, I, I think sometimes some of us have been in this space for a long time forget because we can easily do that traversing of an iframe web page in SharePoint is the same as a personal app in Teams and is the same as, I can't even remember what they were called in Outlook. And so someone brand new coming into this space gets totally blown up by okay, if I do something in Teams, I have to go do this. And if I do something in SharePoint, I have to go do that. And so the fact that your team's thinking about that for not just new developers, but people have been in the space for a while to make it simpler, um, gets people up and running a lot quicker, which is great. Exactly. What was the notion of the, so the build announcements were very focused around Teams SDK, the, v, the V2. When you talk about that, what what does that, where can that touch? What different services does that mean that, you can have your app run in um, by being in that V2 SDK? The V2 SDK was kind of our first and really significant milestone in allowing developers to, like we were talking about earlier, just write their app once and have it available 
across like multiple M365 services with very little code change. And so in addition to Teams, you're now able to develop your personal apps in Outlook and Office.com. And so this is just like the tipping point. We've just started to scratch the surface and eventually we fully expect to expand the set of services that developers are allowed to run their apps in across the M365 platform and products. And I think that's been the thing that, that there's been a big journey and there's all sorts of different work streams internally with Microsoft where all of these different products that are in M365 are, are showing up uh, as part of these things. And that, and that to me is really exciting. It's probably the biggest thing I've seen in the developer space for a while where everyone is trying to get on board to be part of where this journey is taking us. And, and so that's really neat to see, you know, not just Teams, but Outlook and Office.com, which, I mean, I use Office.com pretty much as my start screen every day at work to see who's working on what document and when my next meeting is and what meeting recording I missed. And so being able to extend those experiences is, is, is really, really neat. As a developer, what benefits does these changes actually mean for me um, when it comes to, you know, taking advantage of the new V2 SDK? And I think that means uh, the manifest has to be upgraded as well as the SDK version to V2 too, right? Yeah, so the manifest has to be upgraded to version 1.13. You can do this either manually or also by running a command if you use Teams Toolkit. And so, yeah, you need to make sure that you upgrade your app manifest. But so other than, like in terms of other benefits, other than, you know, being able to extend your personal apps, if developers have built like search-based message extensions in Teams, then they're able to also extend these to Outlook, both on web and Windows. Um, also, just say in general that upgrading to version two of the SDK is really frictionless in that developers should be able to see their in-market Teams apps running addresses and continue to receive a lot of production level support. And furthermore, we're also moving to a faster release cycle. So you can expect to see monthly releases in the near future, which means that if you're a developer, you can rest assured feeling like you have access to the latest features that the SDK supports. And then something that I'm really excited about is the new capability model um, that's supported in the latest version of the SDK. So it's essentially like a logical grouping of functionalities. So thinking about like authentication as a capability, mail as a capability, or like chat as a capability, it really allows an app to detect like which capability is supported by a host application and then be able to access all of the different APIs within it. So I think it's really exciting and interesting to think about developing apps from more of like a scenario perspective using this new capability model. For those not familiar, like the personal app essentially is an app that I can launch from the left-hand rail of Teams. So I could build AdventureWorks, Blah app on my Teams app, but I could also then build that into Outlook and Office.com. So do those two products have rails as well? Maybe I've not even... Maybe you've not even noticed that in office.com. Yeah, so those two products do have Rails as well, and you should be able to um, check those out. And you should also be able to access like settings for the apps on those on Outlook and Office as well. And so you're saying with the capability model, if my personal app is running in Outlook, I know what context I'm in when I've launched that personal app in that Microsoft 365 surface is that right is that kind of what that capability aspect is for yeah so i would say that the capability aspect is more from like a developer perspective to see 
what sorts of scenarios your app can have, for example. So like, for example, if the mail capability is supported by um, an M365 surface, for example, Outlook, then I know that as a developer, I can call like mail.composeMail and mail.openMailItem. So I don't have to check for individual um, function support. I can just say, is the mail capability supported um, at the beginning? And if it is, then all of the different like specific functions, um, you can call after that. So it's really kind of just grouping functions together under like an umbrella capability. Yeah, and I can imagine like you may have already built a personal app in Teams and the capabilities there you might be taken advantage of, but it might make sense for that same personal app to be available in Outlook. And Mm -hmm. the UI of the personal app might be different because it's running in Outlook versus Teams. Like rather than it being a new Teams message, I might be doing a new Outlook mail as part of that whatever flow I'm in at that point inside that personal app. So I do like the fact that you're thinking about those things, you know, more holistically across all the different service areas we have and like providing those hooks for developers to use rather than, I guess, historically in the past, developers had to get creative and hack around JavaScript to work out, am I in Outlook, am I in Teams? So it's good that, you know, we're learning from all the the different development models we've had in the past and and, and bringing these together in this one, one development model here. Exactly. So if I'm a Teams developer already, how easy is it is to flip? Like you said, there's a command line tool. Do I have to have a particular like package installed on my machine for that tool to run? Like, is this the Teams toolkit that you're using to do that upgrade of the manifest? Yeah. So the Teams toolkit can really help um, like simplify these steps. But I would say that these steps are pretty straightforward already. And they're all um, available online in our developer documentation. I even did it for my own test app, which is saying a lot because (laughs) I'm like, did I forget how to code? But anyway, um, yeah, the first thing that you want to do is upgrade your, like we were talking about earlier, upgrade your app manifest schema to the most recent version and also update your SDK reference so that it's to the most like recent SDK. So it would be Teams.js version two or higher than that. There's a few other steps that you need to take if your app is using like content security policy headers. And similarly, if you do like single sign-on with Microsoft Azure Active Directory, but really just after completing those steps that might be specific to your app, you really just have to sideload your updated personal app package in Microsoft Teams. And after you've done that, your personal app should be available to preview in Outlook and Office as well. So it's really straightforward and we'd really encourage people to, to really leverage the Teams toolkit as well as it really simplifies a lot of these steps as well. Right. But so just to go through it, there's some layers here, right? Like there's the manifest, which is the 1.13 schema. But then within your ID, you're going to need the Teams.js version two um, of the SDK. But then you also need to be on the latest Teams toolkit too, if you're going to use those command line tools or take advantage of some of the magic that we had Piers bogging on uh, in the last episode talking about the toolkit in more detail. So the toolkit's all built and up to date, ready to take advantage of this stuff as well. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for calling that out. That's really cool. And that's and that's a different team again. So again, there's a lot of coordination going on here between all of the different products, Teams, Outlook, Office.com, you guys being that kind of horizontal team across all those products, and then the dev div team doing the actual toolkit stuff too. So it's impressive we're getting all that all online, which is great. Yeah. Thank goodness for email. <laughs> For connecting us all. Yeah, that's right. And and many, many monthly meetings that I joined just to find out what's going on a month, you know, once a time, once a month. Very true. 
If I'm a SharePoint framework developer, can I build a personal app with SPFX and have it show up in these different M365 services? I know, you know, there's different ways you can build a personal app, but is is that supported? That's a really good question. So that's not supported yet, but we have really good and strong customer signals that are showing that um, support for doing this in SharePoint FX is a really popular request. So it's on our roadmap. And we definitely expect to make announcements about this towards the end of the year. So look out for those. Yeah, that's cool. So for now, if you do want to build a personal app, it seems like you have to use a, like a, just a standard web stack um, and not have this thing deployed by SPFX. But the plan is, is that you'll be able to choose between the two in the future. That's part of the goal. And then are there any particular like JavaScript code I, I need to know? You know, we talked about the capabilities, but just to know which surface I'm running in. So I know you can check for like mail compose is available, but it, would there be any reason to get like the context of the surface without necessarily having to know what capabilities it has? Yeah. So I think from a developer perspective, one reason that you'd want to see um, like what surface you're running in is to from like a UI perspective. So you can expose the name of the surface that your app is running in um, by calling get context, which will query the host name property um, on the context interface. And after you can after you do this, you can use the host name to differentiate the theme of your application based off of the host that it's running in. So for example, you can use Teams purple as the main accent color if your app is running in Teams or blue if it's running in Outlook. Another really useful scenario where a developer could be using hostname would be to like differentiate messages shown to the user based off of which host it's running in. So for example, um, if it's an office, you can say manage your tasks in office. If it's in Teams, you can write manage your tasks in Teams. Right, right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, so I guess the ho- the the surface you're in is really, really important or the host name is, you, is the property name in that get context. Um, and then obviously the capabilities, being able to do that check is yet another way of doing that. In terms of like using colors and so forth, if they're using some of our um, kind of our style libraries and so forth, does it, is that built in as well? So can I use thing, like, different like libraries to help me do the coloring without me having to work out or dictate Teams color is this color and so forth? You should be able to do that. We also offer... The goal for us is to offer some shared UI components, which will actually already have those specific colors built in. Um, That's kind of removing some of the burden off of the developer for making sure that you have the right Microsoft Teams purple. Yeah, like me as a colorblind person, I'm just going to go, that looks close (laughs) enough. And then someone will go, Jeremy, that's like miles away. That's blue. It's not purple. To the point where I didn't think I even knew that Teams was purple in the first place. I, I think that's really cool from a, being able to do that differentiation between it. So we had Pearson, as I mentioned, talking about the Teams toolkit. That supports the new manifest, but can I do like an F5 and see what it looks like directly on my local machine in Outlook or Office.com? Are those things supported? Yeah, you definitely can. Um, we would encourage you to use like the F5 debug feature when you're testing in Visual Studio to exactly do what you were saying to debug in Outlook and Office. And and is that I mean I'm assuming that's going to launch Office in a browser Office yeah. document browser because that is all that exists. But for Outlook, is that just going to open Outlook on the web, 
Or can I have it run a desktop version of Outlook to test that it works good in desktop, not just in the browser? Like, where are we at with the surfaces being like the, the rich clients versus the browser versions? So I believe for now, we should be able to debug on browser, but we're working towards desktop clients as well. And then in general, not just the debugging aspect, but if I build an app and I say I want to have this show up in a, a, a personal app in Outlook, is it only Outlook and the web these things will work? Because I don't think I see a, a rail of apps in my Outlook desktop, like on my Mac, for instance, which I know the Mac is a little bit behind. But is the intent that we'll get there, that that will be supported on the different client types? Definitely. Um, so the goal is to get support for desktop, web, and also working towards mobile as well. Right. And so I guess we just have to, like, again, we're starting this journey on the web and then we'll keep rolling out as we support more and more of the clients. Exactly. Okay. And so then I guess the next question I have is we focus a lot on personal apps with this, you know, not, you know, everyone's familiar with them in teams and now you can have them in, you know, Outlook and office.com, but are there other things that we're looking to do or are available right now that are not just about personal apps that you can build for? Like I know you mentioned search um, with the, the message extensions, but there are other things that we're thinking about doing. So there's definitely a ton in the works. As like I said, we're working really hard to deliver on the right once build everywhere vision. So while I can't share everything just yet, I do want to say that, like I said earlier, in addition to browser and desktop, we're adding mobile support, which we expect to release very soon, as well as just, like I said, working on our capability model to increase the amount of capabilities that developers can leverage for their personal apps. So all really exciting stuff in the works. Yeah, I guess we'll have to, I'm assuming that means like Ignite will be the next stage where we'll see kind of some of the bigger new features around this kind of more broader M365 developer platform play for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so as a developer, I mean, obviously you can go watch the videos that came out at Build, but what where's the best places to get started uh, to try and build these things now on the Teams Toolkit with this V2 of the the, the SDK? Yeah, so we have a bunch of resources um, to help developers get started. So um, like I said earlier, there's a lot of Teams developer-facing documentation on Microsoft Docs, which walks you through all the requirements and steps required. So I believe it's called Extend Teams Apps across M365. Another really awesome resource would be to watch the on-demand sessions that we recently delivered at Build. The one that I'm thinking of is called deep dive into Microsoft Teams JS SDK V2 for extending Teams apps to Outlook and Office.com. It must be the, like, the longest on-demand session title known to man. I'm really looking forward to where marketing kind of start consolidating how we talk about these things to be, make them a little bit easier to roll off the tongue for sure. I know. It's like creating an acronym for that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Be, you know, like R2 Server Edition r- release to 2022 would be making that even more longer. Um, I have watched that video and it was super cool just to see the same personal app running across those different experiences. So and the team did a really cool job there. And I did notice on the Extend Teams apps across Microsoft 365, the preview doc, uh, at the top of that doc, it actually highlights the the personal apps, the tabs, uh, the message extensions, which is search-based. And it 
it targets the it explains the support of Outlook as well. So you know the web is actually there as a targeted release. And then in the desktop, there is a beta channel release of Outlook that supports it, which is actually, I didn't know we we did that. I, um, so I'm assuming that's in the Windows version of um, of Outlook. And then obviously with Teams, it's, you know, supports web, desktop, and mobile. So it'd be great once we kind of fill out that matrix of uh, support there for mobile and those, um, you know, the desktop clients. Because, I, I mean, a lot of people use the Outlook web right now, but there are still a lot of people on the um, the proper apps for Mac and Windows like myself. Yeah, exactly. And thanks for calling that out. Like I said, it's a really great resource to check out. And that matrix is really helpful. And we'll keep updating that um, as we make progress. I guess the other aspect is, is like some of this stuff is genuinely available, but as we're on this journey, how, how can developers ask questions or provide feedback if, the, if they're finding issues maybe, or they'd like to see new capabilities flag show up or because there's different layers, right? You've got like the manifest which is owned by a team. I don't think the manifest is open source, but like the SDK is open source and so is the team's toolkit. So where would a developer go? Would they be going to the retrospective GitHub libraries to give that feedback at, you know, depending on what they're touching, I'm assuming? Yeah, so something that we're definitely relying on right now is GitHub um, to get developer feedback. We really value that as well. And other people on our team, or my other team members are working on building out programs which will really allow for continuous developer feedback cycles. Um, so just again, be on the lookout for that as well. But I would say for right now, GitHub is one of the best resources and just um, forums to leave feedback. And we definitely are looking at GitHub on a daily basis. Yeah, let me, um, I'll make sure in the podcast notes that we have the links to those pages, um, to the on-demand videos that were available build. And also to those GitHub repos where people can see for the the SDK v2 and for the Teams toolkit as well, because again that goes gets routed to different teams depending on who's looking. Um, so that's great. And is there anywhere we can follow you directly, Alicia? Are you um, a- active on the interwebs that w- people can follow along on your, especially as a as a lot of people that aspire to be at Microsoft and being one year into Microsoft. Um, sometimes that can be really interesting people to follow along. I have a Twitter. It's at AliciaLu24. And also feel free to follow me on LinkedIn as well. I'll definitely put those on the links as well. Congratulations on nearly hitting your first year and, and congratulations to the whole team on the work you've been doing around um, these new uh, experiences and the in the SDK and the toolkit. It's uh, it's great to see. And I'm I'm excited to see that matrix fill out. But I'm also excited to see some of the new experiences all light up across all those different surfaces as well um, as we get closer to Ignite and uh, I guess the next build. From what I've seen internally, I think developers are going to be super stoked with where where this is going as a an M365 developer. I totally agree. And thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to share all these this like really exciting news on your podcast. You're welcome. All right. Well, thanks very much, Alicia. And um, we'll catch up. Maybe come come Ignite or build and you can share some more exciting stuff. Um, based on what we, what we see there. Definitely. Or just at the treehouse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With the aircon on, we'll bring a portable one. Yes, yes. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. 
To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 